Hey guys, welcome to the We Are Jocks podcast. This week, I'm so excited to introduce you to my good friend, Miss Classy James. She is the CEO and founder of ShakeOut, and she's also a program manager at Cisco Systems full-time, one of the largest tech companies in the entire world. Classy, it's so amazing to have you on this podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Yes, of course. And we're going to dive into your backgrounds a little bit later, but Classy and I were specifically drawn to a topic that's trending a lot right now um, all over the news. And we felt very compelled to talk about it because it highlights something that really you know, exploits athletes, but also holds dear to our hearts and is part of how we were successful. Um, And we are talking about using college athletics and admissions to get to these top universities and be able to represent them on the athletic field. Classy, I'm so excited for us to talk about this, particularly because we both were Division I student athletes, benefited from getting scholarships to private schools. great academic schools. You were Pac-12. I was Big East. And now you are thriving um, for one of the best companies in the world. So I'm really excited to share your perspective, um, both as a CEO and founder, and then also um, as an employee of one of the biggest firms in the country. Yeah, yeah. So um, first, I was part of the Pac-12. Well, last year, the Pac-10, I was at Oregon State, and then I transferred up to San Jose State. I don't know what conference they're in right now. Um, I think Mountain West, but they were in the WAC when I first started. Um, But yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this topic. I think it's something that, you know, what's in the news about, you know, a lot of wealthy um, individuals paying their way or paying their students or their their kids' ways into getting into these universities um, as, quote unquote, athletes even though they're like not athletes and I think that kind of just slights the fact of like uh, us as athletes we work so hard to get these scholarships and for people to just be like bribed into getting these fake athletic scholarships is complete and total bullshit so I'm excited to like talk about it and like give my perspective from an athlete and also an industry professional and as a founder and CEO of a company where I am here to support the student athletes through their experience out of athletics into the workforce. Right. That's amazing. And we're, we're specifically going to dive into, you know, this exploitation of the stereotypes that revolve around being a student athlete, where they sit in the classroom, um, whether they're smart or dumb, things like that. And, and really what this stereotype of a jock is, frankly, why I decided to try and change the narrative of what a jock means. Um, but I want to bring up some points that, that really bother me. Obviously, this whole situation bothers a lot of people. But specifically, what bothers me is, one, it really hurts these incredible institutions where so many people strive to do the right thing. Some of my personal friends and mentors, um, specifically at Georgetown University, are her, our athletic department, which holds very, very dear to my heart. A lot of great individuals, you know, they, they are suffering in this light. It hurts a lot of me t- to see a lot of my friends who, and our friends, frankly, who could have gone to these institutions, but didn't because they were impacted or there wasn't enough room. And being an athlete selfishly, it really hurts me because of, like you said, how hard we work to get these scholarships. But let's be honest, like me being able to play soccer helps me get into Georgetown. I don't know if I would have gotten there academically otherwise. And I think it's really smart or not smart, but I think it's really 
important for me to just like lay that, like this is a system to benefit athletes, to make a school more well-rounded. It is not a system to be exploited to help get others in who don't deserve it. And almost every college athletic coach and athletic program has the intention of trying to get athletes in there they think deserve to be there both mm-hmm. and that's all encompassing of academics athletics and what they contribute as a person to the campus yeah so i'm gonna put your listeners on game a little bit so universities usually reserve slots for admissions under special circumstances including like legacy applicants children of major donors and students with special talents aka athletes and so they're known as special admits and so athletes account for most of those students um, at the majority of division one schools and so like to your point Um, We're not saying that athletes are intellectually capable of getting into these universities, but we also know they're very, very competitive. And in order to allow athletes into these programs, you know, they might not have as high of a GPA or as high as, as high of an SAT score as, you know, someone else, but they are admitted into the program because of their athletic ability on top of the fact of that they're still good students. Like, don't get it twisted. Like, Schools Mm -hmm. don't allow athletes into their programs if they don't meet the basic academic requirements. Don't sit up here and think that like, oh, athletes are just letting into, are just let into these schools and they have like really shitty like SAT or ACT scores. Their GPA is trash. No, their GPA just might not be a 4.5 and their SAT scores might not be the highest because guess what? Like on top of studying, they also have to perform. Um, And a lot of people that aren't student athletes or don't know student athletes don't realize the rigorous schedule that we are under on top of having to perform in the classroom. We have to perform on the field, on the court, in the pool or wherever it is that your sport is taking place. And so at the end of the day, we cannot dedicate ourselves 100% to our studies. Um, we have to find a way to balance. Right. And that's exactly why we have these, our universities have these, you know, systems in place um, for called special admits to help athletes get into these universities. Right, right. And, and touching on that, you know, universities, they preach this idea of diversity, not just diversity in what you look like, but diversity of thought, diversity of how you act, diversity of where you come from. And athletics provide a diverse another diverse human being other than just academics i think school is so closely tied to just being about academia um but in the larger scheme and and as we all know college is about so much more than just that academia i mean even if you weren't an athlete you can probably cite five years out what was the coolest thing that you did at your university i guarantee you the top five, maybe one of those might have been one class, but it's all this about this all encompassing experience. And so what classing I want to do tonight is not just not make excuses for athletes, but really just to highlight, you know, why the student athlete system exists and how we really benefited it from it and why we think it's so important. So mm-hmm. Asi, as a, as a former student athlete, what was it like when you got to play and what was then the PAC 10? Um, and then for San Jose State. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, it was difficult but enjoyable because I say difficult because my major was finance. So again, there is a myth that you know a lot of athletes are communication majors, or at San Jose State it was African American studies majors because a lot of the athletes were African American. Um, 
And so I was a finance major. And as I got into like my major classes, it became really difficult for me. Um, balancing the fact that I was the team captain um, of the San Jose State women's basketball team and on top of like wanting to perform well in the classroom. And it wasn't about being eligible. Like I was going to be eligible regardless. It was about how do I show up and still be able to, you know, perform well um, as a student and also perform well as a basketball player and also be a good captain for my other teammates. And so it was really difficult. And I remember I also went to like a private high school. I went to Archbishop Mindy High School. Um, It's one of the top high schools in the country. Um, And so I remember I'd always done pretty well in school. And then at San Jose State, I failed my first ever class. It was like a business calculus. And I remember (laughs) it was terrible. Um, And then when I failed that class, I felt like so terrible about myself. And I remember um, one of the academic advisors at San Jose State was like, well, maybe you should just switch your major. And I was like, maybe you should shut the fuck up because I also realized, (laughs) I also know that um, as a female athlete, um, my dream and my intention was to become a professional athlete, but my parents always told me basketball is a means to an end Mm -hmm. that eventually it is going to end, which is the whole basis of my business shakeout preparing for the end of athletics. But knowing that at a young age, I knew that I had to throw myself in my studies. And when I failed, and then when the um, athletic or academic advisor told me that I should switch my major, I was like, how dare you? Mm-hmm. You know, because just because, you know, I failed one class doesn't mean that I should go into that stereotype and become a comms major because I got A's in all my communications classes. It wasn't about trying to just go under the radar, pass classes just to be eligible. For me, it was about preparing myself for life after sports. And I think that the stereotypes aren't always stereotypes, but they're institutionalized problems when you have schools telling athletes, well, maybe you should major in communications when the athlete comes in. They're like, I don't know what I want to major in. I don't know what I want to declare my major in. I knew going into college what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a finance major. But there were a lot of athletes that didn't know. And when they didn't know, their athletic advisors were like, be a communications major. And they're like, okay. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 partially, it's partially, you know, the athlete not knowing. And it's also partially the fact of they're not around people that are necessarily, you know, helping guide them for that transition out of athletics and helping them having a good academic experience while they're in school. And I'm not going to generalize and say all schools are like that. I'm just saying from my experience, I got one F mm-hmm. and someone told me to change my major. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which it's kind of funny because if you know sort of the DNA or blueprint of of any athlete, you know, that that is the, probably the worst thing that you can say to them. Um, failure is not something that we are accustomed to. Actually, I've rephrased that we are accustomed to failing, but the failure is part of the process to become better. So, Mm -hmm. so it's part of going into these institutions and saying, treat me as a regular student. And rather than telling me to switch my major and give up, teach me and tell me and help me how I can get better, how Mm -hmm. I can succeed at this. Why would you take someone out who wants to study a complicated major like finance and tell them to go do something less challenging? I find that one, just like very condescending. And two, I just think that that doesn't move the needle forward at all. It's not what the, it's not what the university is there for. Um, Something I want to bring up too, it's like this, this act, 
these institutional you know this framework that that's already sort of predestined when when you go in as an athlete i definitely felt stigmatized um you know being i mean stand out one we're always coming from practice you just automatically know six feet for a woman is you know probably playing a sport um and there's this whole idea of where to sit in the classroom and I was always the kind of person like I want to sit right up front because I want them to know that I'm here and focus and I want to combat that stereotype. But thinking about it from another lens or maybe from your lens, like what is no other student, I don't think really has to think about that. Yeah. People can just kind of go and sit wherever they want. But there is this like you go sit in the front of the classroom. And what do you, what do you have to say about that? I think, well, first it was like a lot of um, coaches make it kind of sort of mandatory for their students, uh, student athletes to sit like in the front couple rows. Um, and then they run class checks to make sure that one, they're in class and two, they're in uh, the like the first rows. And if they're not, you know, that might mean liners. And I don't know about you for current and former athletes, but I'm not about to run no extra sprints for nobody because mm-hmm. they're not sitting in the front. So if I'm in your class and I see you in the back, Get your ass to the front with me and sit next to me. Like, <laughs> even if you fall asleep, that's your prerogative, prerogative, but we're about to sit in the front of the class together. Right. Um, and then at the same time, I think it's sometimes, like, for me, it was, like, always feeling like I had to prove a point. I had to prove a point that, it, yeah, I had a high bun, I had sweats on, like, everyone knew I played on the basketball team. Um, I didn't want to be considered that dumb jock that is just, like, oh, sitting in the back not caring, and, like, they have a tutor or they don't really care about school or they have everything handed to them. So it was kind of like proving a point where I was, you know, raising my hand, interacting in class, like proving to the, the, the teachers and the other students that, oh, she's an athlete and she's also like intelligent, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and what's funny, I'm also like in grad school, I'm about to uh, graduate from Santa Clara University with my MBA in a couple of months. I still had that same mindset where I would get into class and want to sit in the front, uh, front and center. and feel like I was proving a point. And then I was like, my, my best friends that were in the classes with me, but they were like, classy, do we have to sit in the front every single class? And I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm just ingrained to sit front and center and be, you know, a willing, able and active participant in this experience, because one, that's kind of just how I am as a person. And two, it was because that was ingrained in me um, back even kind of in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, My, my, my coach like ingrained that in us in high school that carried over into undergrad and now into my uh, graduate studies. Right, right. And it's that whole like being early to class. You also don't fit that stereotype of just waltzing in on the professor's dime and then it's still being having to earn their respect when you have to say hey look these are all the dates that I'm going to miss your class Mm -hmm. and they get really frustrated and then it just like further stigmatizes this athlete dumb jock sort of situation something I'd want to bring up now going even further so you specifically have the student athlete dilemma that you had to deal with let alone that you are 100% African-American, let alone that you're a female. Right. What did that, what extra layers did that add? Um, I think when I was at Oregon State, there wasn't a whole lot of like black people in Corvallis where I was going to school, mm-hmm. but the black people that I saw on campus like were athletes. And so, um, 
you always just kind of look, you know, to your left and to your right. But I think for me, it actually dates back to high school again. So for those that are familiar with the Bay Area, so you have Palo Alto and you have people that are from Palo Alto, like Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook, people that lived in Palo Alto, um, like the founders of Hewlett Packard, Steve Jobs, uh, Tim Cook, the current CEO of um, Apple, all people that are either from Palo Alto or live in Palo Alto, right? Mm. And then you have this little city right next to Palo Alto called East Palo Alto, where you have the minorities. And that's where I'm born and raised from, right? So it's like you cross a little river and then you have nothing but wealth and prosperity. And then when you hear East Palo Alto, you hear of like, oh, like it's dangerous. A lot of minorities live there. So then I always went to predominantly all white schools. My parents really invested in my academia when I was young. So I went to schools that were completely out of my district. And then I went to like a private Catholic school for high school. And for me, I always was like one of the only minority students, like black, Samoan, like whatever, like Hispanic. I was only, I was always one of the only few. So I was used to that. And then, um, and then of course I was always an athlete. So it was like, oh, she's like, the black girl, one of the only black girls that's also good at basketball. Oh, that's a typical stereotype. Yeah. Um, oh, and you then made that, it. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and then that carried over a little bit into college. But at San Jose State, San Jose State was pretty diverse, more so diverse than um, Oregon State. But I think it adds layers because for me, it was knowing not only like my color, the color of my skin, but where I'm from, right? I'm telling you, like, I'm from an area where right next to it, we have some of the most brilliant minds of like startups, but Mm -hmm. then you have East Palo Alto, which is known for, you know, just minorities. It just doesn't have the best reputation. So I always felt like I had something to prove Mm -hmm. um, that, yeah, I'm black. Yeah, I'm from East Palo Alto, but I went to some of the best schools in the Bay Area. I'm very intellectual. I'm very bright, but guess what? I'm also a kick-ass basketball player. And that was just kind of like the story that I always lived with and carried on with ever since I was from like elementary school up until college and even in grad school. And it's so funny to this day, there's still, now there's million dollar homes in East Palo Alto because you have Facebook down in Menlo Park, you have, you know, Google in Mountain View and East Palo Alto is right in the middle of that. So now a lot of the houses in East Palo Alto are million dollar houses, but even still, um, you tell people, oh, I'm from like, you know, the peninsula, that's what they call it out here. And they're like, are you from East Palo Alto? Is it dangerous there? I'm like, it's dangerous everywhere. You can get robbed anywhere. Like, you know, you, you're still stereotyping a place that now has like multi-million dollar homes. Right. And so I think like always being under like a stereotype did nothing but like light a fire into my ass to prove people wrong um, that, you know, you can be from you know, a quote unquote ghetto and still like kick ass in many aspects of life. Right. So that academic counselor advisor, when she told you that, you know, you got an F, are you sure you want to change? Are you sure you don't want to, um, you know, get out of this finance major? You're like, do you know where I come from and what I've done? Right. I wanted to ask her, are you sure you should be working here? Because maybe you need a new job. If if yeah. your initial thing is to tell student athletes to f- switch their major, you clearly don't have faith in them. So why are you even supporting student athletes? Right, right. That's such a great point. So now, now going, you aren't working for Cisco Systems, which everybody knows is absolutely incredible. As a program manager, 
have been working there for a number of years, and then you also are running your own business and getting your MBA. How do you do that? Parents are good at time management. That's ridiculous, but so inspiring. Um, I think that I am slightly crazy um, and I love it. But I think that what it was, the moment I got out of athletics and got the job at Cisco, I was so bored. I was like, okay, so this is corporate America. Like I'm used to having like a strenuous, you know, calendar. And that was also me starting off as an entry level in corporate America. So you don't have a whole lot of responsibility. So the moment I got into corporate America, I always had a part-time job. So I started working at Express part-time because your girl did not have any professional attire. And I was like, well, (laughs) yeah, I was like, let me go work at Express and get some like work slacks and work tops, you know, for the low, low, and then also fill that like bored void. And then it went from like working at Express and I was over it. And then I love massages. So I went to work at Massage Envy so I can get massages for the low, low on top of working at Cisco. And then I was like, let me go back to school because I always didn't want to go back to school to get my MBA. Um, And so I was doing both of those together. And it was within my first, like my first quarter um, at Santa Clara where I developed this business idea, first started off as a book. And then I was like, "Mm, you know, me as a student athlete, I didn't read for shit. I barely even read my textbooks. Uh, um, So why would I want to read an additional book, even if it was a really good book that really helped me? Mm-hmm. And so that's when the whole idea of maybe creating a consulting business where I go to actual universities and help athletes prepare for that life after sports, because like you said, Cisco Systems is a really, really like huge and legacy tech company in Silicon Valley. Um, and people were asking me, how did you get your job at Cisco? Can you help me with my resume? Can you tell me what I should say when I go into a job interview? Um, he helped me with finances cause I was a finance undergrad and I was like, this is a full-time job helping you guys. Right. And I was like, Hmm, you can only play that teammate card so many times. Right. Right. And it wasn't even just teammates. It was just like people that knew me from the athletic, you know, world. <laughs> and I was like, well, they're clearly asking me this question because there's a gap. They're not learning these things in school. So that's why I decided to develop a business that helps with the issues that I know I experience and I know that other athletes are experiencing. So juggling all three of those right now is really hard. What I do is literally I prioritize things on a daily basis. So when I'm in finals, the midst of finals, school and passing those finals is my priority. Um, When I have a huge project at work, that's my priority. And whenever I have free time, I throw that free time into my business, whether that's me becoming a certified life coach on top of helping with my business, whether that's me, um, you know, putting together team consulting packages to prepare to go for the final four, because I'm going to the final four next week as a vendor to pitch my business for the first time to coaches and athletic directors. It's all about prioritizing and like creating some type of daily schedule, either in your head or writing it down, because you have so many hours in the day, really. And if you can allocate a certain amount of time to each of those things, you can get it done. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now as, um, first of all, I'm still processing all of that because that's amazing. Um, <laughs> but now as someone who, you know, with Cisco helps employ former student athletes, also as someone who is a consultant to these very institutions that you see have this dilemma or have this opportunity to change the stigma of student athletes, how do you look at it now, this whole how you would 
I guess basically go into a school and be like, look, this is how amazing your student athlete can be if you allow them to flourish. Like, do you have any perspective on, on how you would do that and how you would start to reframe sort of like these institutions? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing is showcasing the fact that from my experience working in the tech industry, athletes are the blueprint of the ideal employee. And I know that for a fact because I've only been able to skyrocket my business because I'm known as the person that gets shit done. I work in an engineering department at Cisco Systems and I am not an engineer whatsoever. But it's first understanding all of the jobs that are available in certain industries. They need program managers, they need communications managers, they need marketing people, they need financial people. Like it's not just engineers at a tech company. So first understanding like what jobs are available in certain industries. And so, like I said, I work in an engineering department, but I work on the operations side because the engineering department needs to be organized and I'm very organized and I get things done. And so I think it's first telling these teachers, not teachers, telling these, you know, coaches and athletic directors, what kind of jobs are out there and how your athletes can excel in these different jobs, primarily in the tech industry. Because for me, it's about helping with the diversity and inclusion initiative within the tech industry. And like you said, diversity of thought, diversity of skill set and diversity of like, you know, age, gender, race, etc. Um, but athletes bring something really special to the table and we can adapt and we work together well as a team. And most of us, most of, most of us have really good communication skills, you know, all the soft skills needed to really excel in the tech industry and soft skills are like the number one skill set or group of skill sets that are lacking in the tech industry. And I went to a conference where the CEO of LinkedIn said that himself. Mm -hmm. So I'm not just, you know, pulling the shit <laughs> out of my ass. You know, the CEO of LinkedIn said like soft skills are highly sought after in the tech industry. And guess what? Soft skills are the things that athletes have. And so helping paint that picture to help, you know, coaches know that because coaches, some coaches literally went from being athletes themselves to coaching. So all they know is sports. And so they're really good at that, but they need someone that was able to bridge the gap from sports into the corporate world, specific, specifically in the tech industry, to help them understand the complexities behind it and how we can help athletes accelerate into those programs and do really, really well. And at the same time, it's also doing things like helping them understand how they can help athletes. And by helping them, I mean hiring me to help them because I know, one, what these companies are looking for, and two, I know what the skill sets that athletes possess. Mm -hmm. And so you pull that together, you literally can help athletes like kick ass after sports. And on top of that, I was always thinking, and I was talking to my parents last night, I was like, you know what would be so dope if the like alumni network that goes back to alumni and ask them for money. If they would go and get money donated back to their athletic departments from millionaires, there aren't millionaires because of professional athletes that are millionaires because they are entrepreneurs, they're lawyers, you know, they're real estate agents, they're VPs at companies. And that usually is like recurring like income that they're getting, not just getting it like for a couple years because they signed a really big contract and they can give money, you know, one time. It's like, no, you guys invested in your student athletes and their life after sports. And so they're so wealthy and successful. They want to give back to the university that invested in them. 
I absolutely love that idea. And that's really the first time I've heard that. And I want to touch on something that you said at the beginning of that, that kind of helps tie it all together at Accenture, where I work for my day job, guys, it's, it's insane how like we are a management consulting firm that really specializes in technology and in these technology systems and how to build technology. But the number one component that we focus on is how we make it human centric. If you can't make it human centric, it doesn't matter. So what you said, like sometimes it's intimidating to go into these like tech, massive tech industries. And I'm like, I, I know the basics of my iPhone and that's about it. But there's so many other amazing jobs that are that lie within that that require all of those soft skills that we develop as teammates and and for classy for you it's so amazing that you help athletes bridge that gap I was like you know I played soccer on 90 minutes a game I know exactly how to juggle multiple things at once but like how do I really articulate that in a business setting you know so mm -hmm. if you're going for a chief of staff role if you're a captain of your team you have been a chief of staff for two to three years, however long you were a captain, you've already had that experience. Don't be afraid to share it. And I think the biggest thing is I still fear that stereotype of an athlete where I will say, yeah, I went to Georgetown. People are like, what'd you do there? Oh, like I played soccer. I still have trouble being confident about that. So it's totally normal to not have confidence in that. But what I'm saying is we need to reverse that. We need to have that confidence and say, these are all the amazing things I did. And because of that, this speaks to why I am the way I am. And then I will get shit done. No, exactly. It's like being able to use what you've already done and reframe it to make it sound applicable to the industry that you're trying to get into, right? Because the thing is, if you're like a pushy team captain, and you're kind of like a micromanager, um, that actually works in a lot of industries. <laughs> that actually really works. Or you're really detail-oriented, like you would be a bomb-ass analyst. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's so many roles that we don't realize that we could do really, really well in and excel in um, just by having certain fundamental soft skills that we have as athletes. Because the majority of the stuff you learn after sports in an, like, an industry is like on the job. We learn it on the job. Like you can study all you want to, mm -hmm. but it's nothing like that real life experience. And even for people that aren't athletes, like a lot of people that, you know, go from just, you know, being in college to being in the workforce, they don't come in knowing everything. They learn it on the job. But what you have as an athlete for a competitive advantage is you probably know how to work more cohesively as a team with people with different personalities than the person that probably never worked with a team or never had to mitigate issues before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you're really nimble. We're given, we prepare so much. The preparation is still very, very key, but at the same time, you go into a game and you don't really know what's going to come out. Like you just don't really know what's going to happen. You can prepare all you want, but there is still that you know, those situations where you can't prepare for them and you have to be able to act on the fly. And that is probably one of the most transfer transferable skills that um, I definitely use in, mm -hmm. in the workplace setting and how to have poise in, in, in tough situations. Yep. Keep your um, composure. Exactly. Keep, literally people at work get so riled up over the smallest, like, <laughs> confrontations and I'm looking at them and they're like twice my age I'm looking at them like you're mad about that but I realize like I have gotten yelled at in my face like 
you know, disrespected um, by either other players, you know, coaches or whoever at a young age of like, you know, 15 and 14. And so it's like, I've been dealing with that, you know, Mm -hmm. since I was really young. So someone telling me your work is poor, you need to do better. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do better. Well, someone else might break down and cry and feel like they were like attacked and go to HR. Right, right. And if someone doesn't give you feedback, you're like, why, why aren't you giving me feedback? Can I have it, please? It's like, you just need it. Um, Or for people that tell me like, oh, your work is so good. I'm like, it's not, oh, so it's not always so good. Like, give me something like, right. You know, it's, it's not perfect here, but I guess because I'm used to that constructive feedback and learning how to like adapt, I'm wanting someone to tell me something so I can better myself. Right. Exactly. So classy, I, I have two more things I want to talk about. First, what is your grand vision for ShakeOut? Okay. So when I think of ShakeOut, I think of the biggest consulting company helping athletes prepare for life after sports. And um, what's different for me, like we've talked about is one, I, you know, am preparing athletes for life after sports as far as like hosting workshops. And I also have an online course. Um, But I also starting next year in 2020, I'm going to put that out into the universe. So I've said it. Um, Manifested. There it is. Yes, I'm going to manifest. I'm going to have the first ever life after sports conference. And the theme is going to be athletes interested in tech and entrepreneurship because that is kind of what I've done. I want to host it out here in the Bay Area. I want to bring together, you know, top athletes or student athletes that are interested in the tech industry or interested in entrepreneurship and actually bring university recruiters from these tech companies, from the Googles, from the Facebooks, from the Apples, from the Cisco's, you know, at this conference and actually like interview these student athletes and those student athletes might leave this conference with the possible job. So that's what I'm working on. That'll come next year in 2020. And I honestly want to be able to impact at least 50 teams a year um, with my team consulting package. If I can touch 50 teams a year, that would be amazing. And then I want to see my business scale and grow. I want to, you know, have people under me that can go to different teams because I'm only one person starting out. Um, but I want to be able to scale and grow and hire a team and have people become ShakeOut certified where they can go across the country and host workshops and seminars on ShakeOut's behalf and helping these athletes prepare for life after sports. Because I really believe every single university should have a transition program in place that's effective because some of them do have transition programs, but I don't know how effective they are, but a transition program, program that's effective that can help prepare athletes for life after sports and help them have jobs lined up after sports as well. Right. And another question to add in, how did you come up with ShakeOut? So ShakeOut, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. So basically ShakeOut was a term that my dad um, told me about when I was in I think elementary school. So as I was going from elementary school to middle school, you know, there was a drop off in the number of athletes that were playing. And I would be like, dad, so-and-so is not playing anymore. And he was like, that's the shakeout. And I was like, okay, what the fuck's that? Um, <laughs> I was like, okay. My dad was like really philosophical. Um, he still is. Um, and so he's just an amazing person. And so as I got older, you know, I w- we would have those same conversations and he would talk to me about like the shakeout 
and you know thinking with a higher level of consciousness and understanding that basically shakeout is turnover and what turnover means for those that aren't you know that that don't know what it means is about people leaving a particular industry so shakeout if you look it up in the dictionary it's like basically a term that's used in business and economics to describe a consolidation of an industry meaning that people are leaving an industry and industry is changing because people are forced out because of competition and so in the terms of shakeout in my business, we're talking about athlete turnover. We're talking about athletes leaving the athletic industry because of injury, skill set, capability, politics, or life. They're just ready to stop being an athlete. And so what we're doing is we're preparing athletes for the shakeout because I don't care who you are, you know, you're going to be the product of the shakeout. Kobe Bryant, product of the mm-hmm. shakeout. LeBron James on his way to becoming a product of the shakeout. But guess what? They are preparing or prepared for that shakeout. So when basketball was over for them, they already had something else going. They already had multiple businesses going. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm trying to do is help athletes prepare for that transition out of athletics, also known as the shakeout, so that it's not like a terrible learning curve. I love it. My last, my last question for you is, I read this quote the other day that confidence is defined as the way that you talk to yourself. Taking into account everything that we've talked about tonight, what would you say to student athletes who are feeling stigmatized in the classroom, still needing to perform on the field? What would you, what advice would you give them? Um, my advice would be that you possess everything within inside yourself, right? You possess the ability to be like a bomb ass athlete within yourself because you know you have the confidence to do that. Just like you have the confidence to do whatever it is you want to do in life. You have the confidence, if you like you have the power to have the confidence to be an excellent student, to also transition effectively. And knowing that first and foremost, there is a community of athletes that have gone through, will go through, or are going through like that transition out of athletics. And so you're in good company. You have people out there that have your back. And so it's more so like confidence comes from talking to yourself because first and foremost, like no one should hype you up like yourself. You should be your number one hype man, period. And know that whatever it is you want to do in this world, you have the skill sets and the capabilities to do it. However, you also need to align yourself with like-minded people that are there to motivate and inspire you and help you through whatever dilemma, whatever transition you're going through. If you feel like, you know, you're stereotyped as a dumb jock, prove them that you're not a dumb jock. Mm-hmm. Cause you can do it. You know, if you want to prove that you're more than your sport, show the world that you're more than your sport because you are. And I think that one, it's knowing that you possess those skill sets within yourself, but two, it's about me and you coming together like we are right now to advocate for these athletes, to tell them that, you know what, there's so much more than just your sport. And there's a whole community of people that have your back. Just find us, find us, reach out to us. Like literally there's ever since I started ShakeOut, I have realized there's a whole community of like former athletes that are trying to help athletes with life after sports. Mm -hmm. And we're all working on coming together and being like one unit so that athletes know that we have their back and that we're here to support them in any way, whether that be nutrition, whether that be with getting into the tech industry, whatever it is, like we have your back because us as athletes, we know how difficult it is to one, be an athlete while you're on campus being stereotyped. And we also know 
to how difficult that transition out of athletics can be. 100%. We are, we are building this life after sports team. It's really yeah. neat to like see all of these people come together. And of course, we're all competitive. We all have our different sort of areas that we're working in, but it's really, really inspiring and fun to have this little community of people who care so deeply about people they just share the same athlete language with and that's it Mm -hmm. like it doesn't matter literally me and you met once in new york when i was out there for a conference yeah like dm'd you (laughs) like okay want to meet up (laughs) right like it literally it was like within a week and we met and it's like nothing but good vibes and i feel like Every person that I've connected with that's passionate about life after sports, after one conversation, we're like, yeah, we're friends. We're friends in real life and on Instagram. We've been on Instagram, but we had this one same passion mm-hmm. that we were athletes and we struggled and we want to help other athletes so they don't got to struggle and be on the struggle bus as long as we were on the struggle bus. Exactly. And we got each other's backs. It's amazing. Yeah. So, Classy, how, how do we get in touch with you? Where, where is ShakeOut? Where are you? Where can we find you? So you can follow my business Instagram at ShakeOut LLC. I also have a website, www.shakeoutllc.com. My personal page is just Classy J. I'm also on LinkedIn, Classy James. Um, Also, I want to say a little plug. So (laughs) aside from like my course and my team consulting uh, package, I have some dope apparel coming out um, on April 27th. My birthday, I turn 27 on the 27th. And so that's the launch of my merchandise line. I have some dope hoodies, crew necks, t-shirts, hats. Because at the end of the day, like, one, I love a good crew neck and hoodie. I always will. 100%, especially I, if it's a full gray outfit or a little you know? Dude, I miss them so much. Right, right. And so, and I also have like an athlete like edition line called the You Are More Than Your Sport Collection. And it's for athletes. I want athletes that are wearing that to be telling themselves and telling the world, guess what? I'm an athlete, but I'm so much more than my sport. And so having apparel that just like has my tagline on it, I feel like it's powerful because I think it's a constant reminder to ourselves and to the world that, yeah, I'm a kick-ass athlete, but guess what? I can do so much more than that. hundred mm-hmm. percent. So multidimensional. Yes. Classy. Like we, said, we love a good tea. We love a good tea. We and a <laughs> oh, we do. And a high bun. There we go. <laughs> right. <laughs> Classy, thank you so much for joining us. This was awesome. Wow, thank you. Thank you.